What's up, everybody? It's Honorado and Company. It's Chris Honorado. It's Ashley Miller, our Thursday morning live stream. If you're watching us on TV over the weekend, catch up with us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube every Thursday at 10 a.m. across News Channel 13 social media channels. Huge, jam-packed show, Ash. What do I usually do around this time? I waste time by talking about everything we're going to do on the show instead of just doing the show. So yeah, do let's it. go. is Honorado and Company, sponsored by Alpenhouse. And thanks to all of our local business partners here on the show, keeping us going. Of course, Andy Heck and Katie Osborne at Alpenhouse. I'll be in Clifton Park next Thursday for this show with, uh, with Andy and Katie. Our guests today, guests, Jack Curry Andy. from Yes Network, of course, New York Times bestselling author. Uh, he has a new book out that we're going to talk about here. We're also going to talk, of course, about the Yankees and the injuries they've had. Interesting, I thought, very interesting comments from the GM Brian Cashman yesterday before the Yanks went out and got a walk-off win over the Guardians. I want to ask Jack about that because he was sitting right on the dugout bench <laughs> next to Cash as he was making those comments. Uh, we'll get into the Kentucky Derby. Of course, it's on News Channel 13 on Saturday. Josh Coomjin, who is our in-house horse racing analyst, expert. Uh, we've got boxing coming to the Capital Region in a couple of weeks. We'll talk about that and we'll wrap up the Albany Firewolf season as well. So a lot to do, a lot to do. But yeah. let's get to our guest of the hour here on Honorado and Company, and that is Jack Curry from the Yes Network, Yankees analyst, Yankees reporter. Jack, it's, it's good to have you on the show. It's Chris and Ashley. How are you? Hey, Chris. Hey, Ashley. I appreciate you guys taking the time and uh, looking forward to talking with you. And Chris, you're never wasting any time when you're, when you're touting the show. That, that's what you have to do. You, you got to build up to that point. I, I I don't want you to think you're wasting time. You're telling people what's coming. I like well, that. Jack, sometimes we get eight minutes in and we're like, oh, well, I guess we should roll the show open. So yeah. <laughs> eight minutes in and I might have escaped to go grab a bottle of water. So I, I understand, Ashley. I got you. When when a teacher gave me an assignment and they said it's got to be a thousand words or whatever, I would always tell you what I was going to tell you. I would tell you and then I would tell you what I told you just to try to fill the pages. It's kind of like this show a little bit sometimes. Jack, you've got the book coming out, The 1998 Yankees. And I want to ask you specifically about the title in a moment here. But first, this jumped at me. I saw your interview with Brian Cashman in the media gaggle yesterday before the game against the Guardians. And I thought his comments were very interesting. You've been around him a lot. How did you take it when you saw Brian Cashman say to Yankees fans, don't count us out? And then I thought the don't give <laughs> up on us was very interesting. Like, this is one of the winningest franchises in all of professional sports, and it's kind of a plea for patience. And, Chris, he said that toward the end of what was about a half an hour interview. And just a little context, everyone knows every day when you're out at Yankee Stadium, Aaron Boone's going to talk before the game. But we were given a heads up by the Yankees PR staff that Cashman was also going to speak. So we don't know. We're in the dark a little bit at that point. Does he have some kind of announcement? Is there some news that's breaking? Is there an, I mean, gosh, is there another injury? But what Cashman wanted to do was basically own up for the way the Yankees have been performing this season and answer questions that people have on their mind. I thought that he was forthright. I thought that he was honest. I thought you saw a GM 
who clearly wishes that the team was performing better, but they're not right now, and they're not whole. And it's not to alibi for them, guys, because once you say a team has injuries, the next sentence is, okay, what, what are you doing without those players? You have to figure out a way to, to fill the void. I will say this. They're 17 and 15. It's a long season. They've got 130 games left. Last year, the Phillies floundered, made the World Series. A few years back, the Washington Nationals started 19 and 31, won a World Series. I'm not saying this Yankee team will take that path. I'm saying that until they get everybody back, the the evaluation of who they are is somewhat incomplete. Jack, I think the most interesting part is a lot of people predicted the AL East to be the best division in baseball. But if you told me, even if you told me the Yankees got off to a slow start at 17 and 15, I don't think I would have predicted that they were in the basement of the division, which just tells you how much better maybe even this division is than people thought. It's a great point, Ashley. This this is a killer division. I, I think when you look at the rest of the season, the Yankees have a lot of ground to make up, not only on the Rays, but on the team's. Orioles are vastly improved. Toronto has been a team that has been inching forward. The Red Sox have played better than I thought they would. But I will also turn it around to this because I always try and remind fans the length of the season. And and Cashman was talking about that yesterday. The Yankees are 17 and 15 through 32. What would a rational Yankee fan have thought they should be at this point? 19 and 13? 20 and 12? Yeah. 20 and 12 is pretty good. So with all of these injuries... And no offense. There may be three games off what you would have thought would have been a, a, a really strong pace. Now, you don't want the Rays to run away much more. This weekend in May is, is a big series. They have to show up uh, against Tampa Bay this weekend. And by that, I mean they got to win a series. I'm not saying they got to sweep the Rays, but they've got to go in and they've got Cole pitching one of those games. So that's you would hope that's a game from a Yankee perspective they could win. They've got Herman and Brito in the other two games. So in my eyes, if they can take two out of three from the Rays, it's just inching forward as they try to get hold. Okay, I've got one more baseball for you here, Jack, before we dive into this book. Um, the new rules. Do we do we like them? Are we getting thumbs up, thumbs down? And and if you, there's one you don't like or one you love more than the other, what is it? It's not like for me, Chris. It's love. Yeah. I, I've always thought that I love baseball, and I've covered it for more than 30 years. But when the pace and the tempo of the game is sluggish and we're watching batters step out or fiddle with their batting gloves, we're watching a pitcher stare in for a sign for 20 seconds, I think you lose people. I think if you want to keep the younger generation involved in baseball, I think the pace of the game is important. I like the activity on the bases with the larger bases. We're seeing more speed, more action. Now every time somebody gets on base – you're saying to yourself, is that guy going to run? So I love that. I will say, I didn't think I would like the elimination of extreme shifts. I wrote a book with Paul O'Neill and he talked about how for him hitting the ball the other way was keeping your hands in, swinging a little bit later and taking advantage of what the defense was trying to do to you. But now that I've seen the game without extreme shifts, I'm a fan. I think we see more of the defense's athleticism And I think we see, honestly, the way the game was designed to be played, that if you're a left-handed hitter like Anthony Rizzo and you hit a 200-foot line drive bullet to right field, that's supposed to be a hit. Jack, your new book out this week, The 1998 Yankees. And this, for me, so I'm going to date myself here. I was 12 years old during this run. And I remember it, but not the way that I'd probably remember a run current day. 
Um, but going through this book, it's a trip down memory lane. And I don't think people remember how good that team was. I mean, like, as I was reading the names, there were guys that I number one forgot about, but also it's just like, if you had a team like that today, I think it would still be the best team on the planet. Mm. What was it like going through this for you? You lived it. You were a reporter. Um, what was it like writing this book for you? Was it a trip down memory lane for you? It was invigorating. It was refreshing. I did cover that team. I knew all of those players. And Ashley, when I started interviewing them, my goal was to come up with some new content, to come up with some new information. I don't really do a lot of uh, focusing on specific games until we get to the postseason in this book. I wanted the behind-the-scenes stories. I wanted to know about David Wells and Joe Torre clashing and David Cohn coming in and saving the day. I wanted to know a story that appears late in the book about Daryl Strawberry telling a rookie reliever, Mike Buddy, who had just been sent down to the minor leagues, hey, maybe you should ask Joe if you can hang around today. They're taking the team picture. This was in September. So Strawberry had enough empathy and enough foresight to say, you're going to want to be in this team picture. So Mike Buddy hangs around, Joe Torre okays it, and Mike Buddy, who's now the athletic director at uh, West Point, said to me, that picture hangs proudly in my home office. Were it not for Dallas Strawberry, I would not be in that picture. So those were the kinds of stories I wanted to tell in this book. And the book is out now. You see it scrolling at the bottom of your screen, the 1998 Yankees, uh, the inside story of the greatest baseball team ever. Now, listen, I could, call this, I could call this the greatest sports talk podcast in the capital region of New York, and I don't know that people would, but... When you put something like that on the cover of a book, Jack, did that take a little, you know, or did you feel like, hey, I can absolutely stand behind this? I think that I proved that point in the book, Chris. This was just not me standing on a mountaintop and saying, I think they were the best team ever. Most, most wins ever. No one's won 125 games. Fourth highest winning percentage ever. I think you have to look for dominance. What separates one great team from another great team? They had the highest run differential since the 1939 Yankees. That means that they just beat teams into submission. They were the highest rated defensive team that season. And this is something that I don't hold lightly. They won three rounds of playoffs. Who's going to argue with the 1927 Yankees? Ruth and Gehrig and a really good pitching staff. And I get it. Higher run differential than the 98 Yankees. But when you won back in those days, you had to win one round of playoffs. Yep. I think that's a big factor. The Los Angeles Dodgers have been the best team in Major League Baseball across the last decade. Best record. They've got one championship, and it was in the shortened year, the 2020 year, which to me just shows you how hard it is to win round after round. And the 98 Yankees went 11-2 and in the postseason. And I hope I have this number right. I know it's in the book. Outscored opponents 62-34. to So all of those factors – Chris and Ashley. That's what led me to say that. And one more thing, John Thorne is an MLB historian. MLB pays him to be their guy who is available to talk history. I interviewed him. He picked the 98 Yankees. Hmm. Uh, one of the most interesting things, and you used, I think you used the word dominance, Jack, just now, but one of the most interesting things was, was a quote from Jeter uh, in the book where you said, or he said, we wanted to pummel people. Every day. And this is a mentality that I think has changed over time as guys have gotten friendlier amongst teams. I don't know that teams go out and have that mentality. Um, can you just kind of take us into that, the mentality of that team versus 
what maybe you would see on a today's Yankee team or a today's any other team. Ashley, I wrote a book with Derek Jeter more than 20 years ago. I covered his entire career. When I interviewed him for this book, I was thrilled that he said what he did because Jeter would not have said that in 1998, 1999. He would have never wanted to give the opposition the idea that he thought they were the greatest. So the fact that he said that, I think, was just taking us inside who that team thought it was. And they did want to pummel teams, and they did want to win every inning. You've heard teams say, we want to win every game, we want to win a series. Jeter said they wanted to win every inning. And there's one anecdote in the book that I describe where Darren Holmes, a first-year Yankee, heard Jeter walking into the clubhouse. And one day he'd say, 155 guys. And then maybe two weeks later he'd say, 146 guys. Finally, one day Holmes went up to Paul O'Neill and said, what is Jeter doing? What are these numbers that he's screaming out? And O'Neill very matter-of-factly said, oh, that's how many more games we we have to go before we win the World Series. (laughs) Wow. And Holmes said, in that moment, I got chills. And this is a guy who had been in the major leagues for seven years at that point. He said, I got chills. And I said, okay, this, this is what the Yankees are about. This is what they're trying to do here. By the way, I'm glad I took the one shot here. Look at the Emmys back there yeah. with, with Jack Curry. I mean, for, forget the writing credentials. The TV credentials are are just as strong with Jack. What, what, one thing, Chris. So this setup was created during the pandemic, which which we all know. I will say it was my director who said to throw some hardware back there. Yeah. <laughs> you notice I have a couple of baseballs. Those baseballs are from my little league and high school career because – Without a passion for baseball since I was a youngster, you're, you're maybe not winning an Emmy one day. So I'm trying to add a little humility to what might look a little egotistical there. No, that, no ego at all. We, we know that. Uh, Jack, I, I want to point this out, too, because when I was doing some sports talk radio in in Albany, we had you on the show with David Cohn. I want to point out the two books. You've mentioned them here. Full Count, The Education of a Pitcher is, is the, the book with Coney. Swing and a Hit, Nine Innings of Weight, What Baseball Taught Me is the book with Paulie. Which of those two guys was the more intense of the two? Oh, wow. Chris, that, that's a hard question. I think the easy answer would be O'Neill because yeah. he played every day. And we saw the Gatorade bashing. We saw the fiery nature. But I would have a hard time calling anybody more intense and more fiery than David Cohn. On the days he pitched, Cohn was maniacal on the mound. I'd probably give Paul a slight edge, Chris, because he played every day. But David Cohn, he he would he would want to rip your throat out. And he was the pitcher's thinking man's pitcher. I, I, I sort of compare Garrett Cole to him. I was at the stadium yesterday talking to Garrett Cole, and I love when he dives deep in on analysis. And we were actually talking about the 98 Yankees because I gave Cole a copy of the book. And I said, give me your uh, book report when you get a chance. <laughs> Cole started going over the entire 98 Yankee rotation. And he was probably, I don't know what, what he was at that point, seven. But he, he knew through history who, who all those guys were. So uh, Coney reminds me of uh, Cole. Paul gets the slight edge in, because he's got more Gatorade bashing expertise than Coney. That's fair. Ash, final word. Uh, well, I was just going to say, if we list out this rotation, it's crazy. We haven't mentioned Andy Pettit. We haven't mentioned, and if we're going to talk about him as like a three or a four, can you imagine having El Duque as your, like, it, like that rotation was unbelievable. Oh, by the way, then give the lead to Mariano Rivera and let him slam the door. Um, just unbelievable stuff. Really cool book, Jack. 1998 Yankees. 
the inside story of the greatest baseball team ever. Go out and get it. Um, I assume you can get it everywhere books are sold. You can get it everywhere books are sold. And quick thought, Ashley, since you mentioned yeah. El Duque, I wrote an essay about El Duque that's online with the New York Times right now about how, to me, he was the most fascinating mm-hmm. player on that team. So if, you, if you're an El Duque devotee, check that out. Yeah, for That'd sure. Cool. Awesome. Jack, we so appreciate the time and continued success with the book. Everybody go out and get that book on the 98 Yankees. Check out those other two titles by Jack as well. Really interesting, the collaboration that went on with uh, Paul O'Neill and David Cohn, respectively, for those two books. Uh, Jack, thank you, man. We'll keep watching on the Yes Network. Thanks for having me. I appreciate your time. Awesome. Great to talk with Jack Curry really cool. here on Honorado and Company. And, and as, awesome. a Braves, as a Braves fan, okay, all this 90s baseball talk, uh, we should you right. should have brought that up while he was on. I don't want him laughing at me. <laughs> All right. We're, we're back right after this on Honorado and Company. More to come, everybody. Happiness is found in simple things. The sun on your face. Sharing laughs. At the campground. Getting wet. Relaxing together. The love of family. There's never been a better time to go outside and play. Alpenhouse Pool Spa Boat and RV. Bringing families together and creating memories since 1964. You've heard of unsung heroes. The men and women of Nyscoba are the unseen heroes. For the past year, you've learned about our many charitable endeavors. Now it is my privilege to share with you the work performed by our members, the 20,000 state correction and law enforcement officers shielded from view. They work in difficult and dangerous conditions and are an extension of the police who protect our neighborhoods. NYSCOBA honors New York's police and firefighters and salutes its own members who help deliver a peaceful night's sleep. And now back to Honorado and Company, sponsored by Alpenhouse. All right, here we go, Ash. A lot to do on the show this week. Little time to waste, but great to have Jack Curry with us. If you joined us late and missed it, you can always go back on social media and find it. We've got the Stanley Cup playoffs happening. We've got the NBA playoffs happening. Let's hit them both. And now, dirty, difficult, and done. Sponsored by Performance Industrial. And a shout out to Bill Miller and his entire team at Performance Industrial. They do really good things around the Capital Region, even when they aren't cleaning industrial kitchens and those types of things or doing epoxy on floors. Uh, they are supporting great organizations and local nonprofits in the 518, which is why we love partnering up with Bill and his team. All right, Ash, you are always first on this, or generally so anyway. You're yeah, up. Not always, but you're right. Uh, Again, my dirty difficult done is that the wait was difficult for Joel Embiid, who had campaigned for MVP of the NBA for several years going now. Uh, But now it's finally done. The Philadelphia Center wins his first MVP. And I I think this one was probably as warranted as the voting showed. I mean, he pretty much ended up blowing away Nikola Jokic uh, in the final voting. I think he got 73 of the 100 first place votes. This is a guy, he's 29, um, he spent the very early parts of his career very much injured, missed the first two seasons, second in scoring for, or first in scoring for the second straight season, but he averaged 33 points a game 
Like, it's absurd. And obviously, the shooting numbers for him, he's like a 55% or fifty-five percent from the floor shooter. And Jokic is 63. That is a, a little bit of a, I guess, story of where they play. Obviously, they play down by the bucket. But I think the biggest reason for Embiid's number being so much lower is that he shoots the three a lot more. Um, so, yeah, I, congratulations to him. I was kind of sick of, like, the, uh, woe is me, I didn't win. Nobody's more deserving than Nikola Jokic for the last two seasons, but I'm I'm glad that he got his the numbers show he deserves it, and we'll see if he can get the Sixers uh, where an MVP should. And Embiid's got to stay healthy in the playoffs. Yeah, that's been an issue. He hasn't played like he's and been out Jokic, the last plus. Who was the two-time defending MVP has to get to a finals. Like yep. both of these guys are terrific big uh-huh. men in the league. We got to win some important games, guys, and we got to be there present for them. So that's that's my no doubt. And it, it feels like the Nuggets are primed for such a run. Yeah, LA, healthy LeBron and Nate. LA got to get through Golden State first, too. Like, yeah. we're yeah, that's good. All right, here's my dirty, difficult, done. Win the President's Trophy, consider yourselves done early. In the Stanley Cup playoffs, the Bruins had beyond a president's trophy, a record setting season, wins, points, all of that out in seven games in the first round. There has not been a president's trophy winning team to win the cup in more than a decade. Yeah, I was going to say it's easy. And in fact, the last set, the last six or seven teams to win the president's trophy, counting the Bruins, Mm -hmm. haven't gotten out of the second round. Yeah, brutal. And you know, look, you say, well, what, what's the reason for that? I don't know, other than some speculation that maybe you push so hard all regular season long that it catches up with you sometime in the postseason. Here's one more interesting note on the President's Trophy, and, and maybe this, maybe there's really something to this. The team that, so for instance, the Panthers, the team that wins the President's Trophy, well, I'll use the Avalanche as a better example. Avalanche won the President's Trophy two years ago, they lost in the second round. Mm-hmm. The next year, they win the Cup. The Panthers win the President's Trophy last year. They lose in the second round. They get swept in the second round. They now look like maybe the best team in the East, maybe the best team in hockey right now. So maybe it maybe it takes a year for these President's yeah. Trophy teams to figure it out. The other thing that I thought was kind of an interesting take is that while the Bruins played such fantastic hockey all year long, they were never in a position where they had to win because they were blowing teams out. They were never in a tough spot toward the end of the season where it was like, we have to win to get in. We have to win to affect our playoff seating. They didn't do any of that. So they played not meaningless hockey, but they didn't play in the atmosphere and, and under the pressure of a first round playoff series. And that was the first time they did it all season. And it was the last time they did it all season. You're, you're smiling. So um, I can imagine. Uh, we had a Jay, uh, Jay Palatsky, Please poor guy. Do. He said, hang on, I'll give it to you. He said, mm-hmm. uh, give me a heads up before the uh, Bruins eulogy. <laughs> well, we sprung it on you, Jay. Sorry about that, bud. Yeah. We started the show with a guest, so we didn't do a roll call. Carol is watching. Of course. Good morning, Carol. Joy is watching beyond oh, teaching me. Partner, Joy. The cha-cha joy is is watching, which is great. Chris Rooney was plugged in for that Jack Curry interview. Absolutely love it. Um, the Rock Man is here. He's all fired up about his Boston Celtics. They got a Big huge the win Celtics. with uh, with Embiid's return on Dominant. Wednesday night. Interesting, interesting stuff there. And this was, you know, what's so funny? 
It was this your was. dirty dip well done. I Nick, also smiled because of that, because I thought he stole it, and then you threw up your new one. <laughs> yeah, Nick, this was my dirty. Uh, so the Oilers get four from Dreisaitl. The Stars get four from Pavelski, back-to-back nights, and both their team lose. And those teams only scored four. Yeah. Weird. I mean, that's yeah. weird, like, Kirk baseball stuff. Weird, weird stuff that just yeah. you don't expect to see, and, and that ends up happening. All right, are we going to see anything weird on Saturday Churchill Downs with the Kentucky Probably. Derby. I mean, this is this is we need help on it this year because it feels like a very jumbled field with yes, one favorite. Um, but my goodness, this this is it feels like it could, it could go a bunch of different turns, doesn't it? We'll find out. We're gonna ask our in-house expert, Josh Kumji. We've promoted him to handicap this field a little bit for us. We're back right after this on Honorado and Company. What kind of stories that's been told on you That may be a lot of things in life you used to do If you can't give true love to me, I'll understand Just do the best you can The Galope Ultra, 2.6 carbs and 95 calories And now back to Honorado and Company, sponsored by Alpenhouse. All right, Ash, uh, you said it before the commercial break there. We've promoted him. But in fact, he did just recently get a promotion. Indeed, he did. Josh Kumjan is our assistant news director. But I like to just temporarily occasionally pick his brain to see if he'll give me anything good. This is a guy who does his homework. Listen with the program. And so you get somebody like me who's looking for low hanging fruit. You don't want to just give away the book. You know what I mean? But Josh is going to help out our viewers. The racing analyst who gets paid to do that. Josh Kumjian knows the most of any person that I know. But there you go. Oh, that's an endorsement, huh? Let's bring him into the conversation then and figure out who the heck is going to win the Kentucky Derby on Saturday. Coverage starts at noon on News Channel 13. There we go. There we go. I read a program better than I set up a camera. How about that? Yeah, yeah. Keep going. (laughs) Go a little bit further for me. There we go. Move the bodies. The body is always easier to move. All right, Josh, help us out here, man. Um, it's it's I said to you in the newsroom, it feels like it has been a cold. Kentucky Derby Trail. Why? Well, I would probably say because you haven't had that horse that's run off the page, right? You know, we're used to seeing these horses that have these monster performances. Oftentimes, it'll happen out west with a Bod Baffert horse who is now kind of out of the Derby game for the last couple of years. Uh, You'll see a horse that just jumps off the screen, wins by six or seven lengths, and everybody kind of circles that horse and says, that's the one. That's my Derby favorite. We don't really have that horse that's running off the screen this year, so I think that certainly plays a role in a lack of buzz. I know Chris said one favorite. I'd argue there's probably two, but both belong to the same trainer, uh, and that's Todd Fletcher. He's got Tappet Trice, and he's got Forte. There's your odds. Thank you, Chris. Yeah. I don't. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I have no idea about this Derby. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, you talk about Forte, he's a horse that's really done nothing wrong, but people are looking for reasons to pick against him. His last race was maybe his least impressive race, which has people maybe a little alarmed going into the Derby. He looked maybe a little bit empty as they came into the top of the stretch, seemed to find another gear, though, as horses came up to him uh, and kind of cruised on by. 
that being said, 20 horse field, three to one, hard to take when and he's a horse that isn't always in perfect position, might be a little bit off the pace. Traffic trouble could come into play. I don't know. I think three to one, he might go off even lower than that. We could see five to two, two to one at post time. So uh, if you want to swallow that short price, that's that's tough to take. Okay, how about Tappet Trice then, Josh? So, yeah, I think he's a horse that's constantly improving, right? I think a lot of people have circled him in terms of a horse that uh, makes a lot of sense uh, in terms of a horse that's – I always look for horses in the Derby that know how to find the wire um, because you want winners, right? Horses that have, have won before. It's hard enough to win in a seven or an eight horse field let alone when you have 19 competitors. So, you know, he's coming off uh, certainly a nice performance in the bluegrass at Keeneland. Um, and a lot of people have circled that as a, as a race where, uh, you know, he did all the right things. His numbers have consistently getting gotten better on a speed figure standpoint. He has an aggressive jockey in Luis Saez, and he's drawn a little bit to the inside, which means he's probably going to have to, to go, which – Typically, derby horses, I know last year we had a horse come from wildly off the pace, but typically horses are in good position throughout most of the race to win a derby. Uh, Brad Cox has four horses in the derby. Is that Ooh. right? Yeah. Well, Brad, him and Brad Fletcher, Cox we've got seven of 20. Enough. Yeah. Do, is there any one of his that you like more than another? Uh I'm kind of torn on the Cox horses. He always seems to have his horses peaking this time of year. One horse that's interesting to me is verifying. He's drawn a little bit to the inside in the two hole, but he has certainly a jockey that knows how to win in Kentucky with Tyler Gaffleyone there. Um, he'll have to get an aggressive trip in order to win. Now he ran really well in the champagne. He had kind of a disappointing juvenile, some would say, um, last year in the Breeders' Cup, but uh, he ran pretty well in the bluegrass as well. So I could see him getting a, getting a plus position if he's hustled out of the gate. And then, uh, then all bets are off once they hit that first turn. If you have that lead, uh, everybody has to come and get you. And I could see him being a horse that's up on the, up on the front end. All right. You are not like me and Ash, you have actual work to do in the building. So we're going to let you go in a second and maybe Ashley ask you for a pick. We'll see. Okay. Win us some money here. I was is, say, there, is there a rich strike? Yes. Is there a rich the strike in this field? No, but it could happen. <laughs> I I don't know if there's a rich strike this year. I think a horse that I have my eyes on is Angel of Empire, who's also a Cox horse. Um, Flavian Pratt's up on that horse. He is a closer, but he which is a problem often in the Derby. Yeah. But he seems to be able to make an extended run. He has a lot of stamina. Uh, maybe he's. Maybe he's cut out to make that run and hold off horses if they get a hot pace, which they could. A lot of people are interested in probably the most polarizing horse in this race, the Japanese horse. Um, but those horses tend to not do well coming yeah. from uh, the United Arab Emirates with those Dubai races. So uh, if I had to pick a real long shot for you, I'd go with the 11 Disarm. Uh, that's a Steve Asmussen horse, Rosario's up for him uh he's a gun runner so those horses tend to mature a little bit later than others um but gun runner ran pretty good in the derby and only got better from there so if i had to take a long shot uh, i would go with disarm josh this is kind of a weird question and you can give me your pick at the end if you want or your you know trifecta whatever um sure. it, is the derby not a fair 
representation of a horse's talent. And I say that knowing like when you win the Derby, you're obviously a good horse, but if you don't win the Derby or perform poorly, I I don't think that that's, it's, it's a fair representation. Like you're not running a lot of races with 20 horses. Yeah. I mean, trip, trip matters in the Derby more than anything. Uh, So you could say that, you know, sure. Horses get a bad trip. They don't win the Derby. Some would argue that, listen, great horses make their trip and they find a way to always be in the right position. You'll look at horses that have won this race in the past, obviously some of the greatest all time. And you say, well, they, they, oh, they had a perfect trip. Well, they didn't have a perfect trip. They had good position because they have that positional speed. They have a second and third gear that their jockey can ask them for on the back stretch to get in position. And then they're hitting the top of the stretch and you're like, well, they're right there. Well, that's because they're a great horse. Um, so, um, you'll of course get your oddballs that win this race, a rich strike, a mind that bird, uh, horses that just seem to catch lightning in a bottle. They get a fast pace that melts down and then their jockey has maybe the best ride of their lives. And all of a sudden everyone's staring at their program and trying to figure out who the horse was. Um, <laughs> uh, but I would say, I would say it may not be the fairest representation. I think when you hit those 12, 13 horse fields, that's a great representation of, of, a, of, a, an, of a proper size field. 20 is a lot. I mean, you can, for many horses, the derby is over as soon as those gates open. You get slammed both ways, even if you're a, even if you're a superstar horse and then you're done for. Uh, if you get banged up like that, you've lost all chance to stay in position. 10 weeks until Saratoga, my man. Um, Hard to believe. This was this was on no prep, Ash. I, I asked Josh like 10 minutes before the show, hey, want to pop on and talk about the Kentucky Derby? No prep. He's already got it done. That's and we treated him like a real analyst. It wasn't like we were like, here's some softballs. Like right. Ready to go for Saturday. Josh, thank you, buddy. Yeah, no problem, guys. Good luck. Right. That Thanks. is our assistant news director, Josh Coomjian, who is as well-versed as you yeah. can tell in the horse racing sport uh, as anybody really we know. All right. When we come back here on Honorado and Company, conversation about a, a boxing event in the 518 that people really should check out. It's such, right, this is an area so rich in boxing history. There's one coming to one of the most historical venues in the Capital Region in terms of sports, and that's the Washington Avenue Armory, of course. Back right after this on Owen Co. I don't care what kind of stories that's been told on Six carbs and 95 calories. And now back to Honorado and Company, sponsored by Alpenhouse. Back on Honorado and Company now. And if you have lived in the Capital Region, even for only like a week, you probably have been told how rich this area is in boxing history. And so anytime there is a local boxing event, we love to talk about it. We've done it a number of times on this show over the last few years. And there is a boxing event coming to downtown Albany to the Armory, and that's a big deal. And that's why we have Ray Schott on the show with us here on Honorado and Company. Ray from Shots Boxing, it's good to have you on, man. Thank you for, for popping on the show. Let's talk about this cool event you've put together here. Boxing back at the Armory 
Saturday, May 13th. Why, yes. you know, why did you want to make sure that there was kind of a, a focus on this sport in downtown Albany? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, um, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on. I'm a big fan. I uh, used to uh, uh, watch you back in the day when I was in high school. I went to South Colony. We used to always try to, uh, you know, joke about trying to get on uh, big board sports and everything like that when we were, yeah, we, were, we were playing back in the day. So this is a huge honor to get on here in a different capacity, about more than uh, I wanted to in high school. But, um, but yeah, like you said, boxing um, back in Albany at the Washington Avenue Armory. Um, we've, got, um, we've got 20 amateur fights scheduled for that night, um, $20 at the door to get in. Um, and it's going to be, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be great. It's, um, we've got, uh, all kinds of local, local fighters from all kinds of gyms, gyms from, um, uh, the Albany parks gym, uh, the Schenectady ring of hope gym, our gym shots, boxing, um, all kinds of like, uh, local talent and, and, uh, uh young fighters coming up. We'll probably have a couple kids fighting. We'll probably have a couple uh, masters fighting older guys. We'll have a couple open class fights, guys that are hoping to go pro, um, someday, um, you know, um, all kinds of everything in between. If you've never been to a live boxing event, this would be, this would be hopefully, hopefully the, the one to go to, you know what I mean? If, uh, if, uh, just kind of like any sport, you know, um, you know, you go to watch baseball on TV, you know, basketball, football, whatever it is, when you go watch it live, it's like a whole different story. So if you've never, if you've never seen boxing live, then, um, you know, come check it out and you'll probably be a fan for life. Why the armory, Ray? Why the Armory? Well, it's uh, that's a great question. It's um, if you don't know the history of the Albany right now, that's where the uh, the patroons play, and uh, we've been able to work with uh, Michael and Kathy over there. They're like the uh, the the ones who run the place and um, who operate the patroons, and they've been you know nice enough to have us uh, kind of back in and uh, you know have our event there at the Armory. But it's uh, aside from the patroons, everybody knows about like the the rich history of the Albany patroons, yourself obviously included, but. Um, uh, they've had, you know, a rich history of boxing there in the past. Um, you know, if, yeah, if you don't know anything about boxing, then even, even, you know, you know, the name Mike Tyson, you know, probably even rings a bell to even the, just the casual sports fan. He, you know, was up here fighting, you know, in Albany, you know, all of like, uh, you know, the greats, you know, the history of history of boxing has been through, been through the capital district in Albany. And unfortunately, like, uh, the past few years in with like COVID and everything happening, it's kind of like been a little bit of a, a standstill um, compared to like what it used to be, obviously back in like the eighties and nineties and early two thousands when it was really, you know, cranking along. I got a couple on the sports specifically for you here. Um, and mm -hmm. again, the event, the, the information to the bottom of your screen, everybody Saturday, May 13th, the doors open at five. That's the first fight, 6 p.m. boxing at the armory. There you go. I know it's a weird mix of <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, you almost opposite of what you're, camera. what you're used to. Um, so you obviously have the gym shots, boxing Yes. for people who don't know a lot about the sport of boxing and they just say, uh, it's, it's just violent <laughs> or you're like me and you, and you, 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 ooh, and you, ah, and you wince every time yeah, something yeah. gets hit. What is it about this sport that, um, you feel helps an athlete either with self-confidence sure fitness um yeah. what are the qualities in this sport that uh, maybe translate wow. beyond the ring wow that's a great question and um you know we get a lot of uh of people in our gym that are kind of like right in that same boat as what you just talked about either whether they're here looking to gain some confidence or whether they're here just looking to get in shape or whether they're here you know to, you know just have some way to spend their time other than um you know something else that's much less productive that they would have otherwise been doing. 
um, boxing is, is great for all that. But, but beyond that, it's, it's when you look at just like the, uh, you know, the concept of fighting itself, like you, you touched on it, you know, just a second ago when you said like some people find it like, uh, you know, kind of like pointless or barbaric, just like people hitting each other in the face or something like something like that. But it's, you know, it goes back to the, you know, hundreds of years ago, probably even before the sport of boxing, you know, was even started that uh, like the curiosity of, you know, who would win in a fight between this guy or that guy, the two strongest guys from across town, each other, you know, whatever the case may be. It's uh, it's it's always been just like a human curiosity. And, you know, like I, like I said, that now with like, you know, there's all kinds of different forms of fighting, whether it's wrestling or jujitsu or cage fighting or boxing or whatever it is. But but it's, you know, just like the history of that human instinct to see who would win against one or the other. It, boxing has, you know, probably the richest history of, you know, any of those any of those sports that I just mentioned. So it's it's, you know, if if like whatever your curiosity is, curiosity level is as a sports fan or fight fan or or boxing fan or whatever it is like i said whatever like if you if you've never seen it you know live then you you know you, you don't truly get you know a full appreciation for uh you know what it what it's like you know you could watch like whatever it's you know hockey basketball football like i said whatever like like the first time you go see it live you come away you know come away from it thinking it's uh you know like it's a whole different story well i've already had abraham supernova throw yes yeah he'll probably he'll probably be there be able to you know check it out if you want you could meet him sign some autographs probably uh tony marshall former middleweight champion of the world will probably be there hanging out signing autographs you you never know who you're going to see at these uh these boxing shows when you when you you watch on tv who's gonna so maybe somebody in the ring on the 13th they'll be throwing fists at me in the news channel 13 studio the way nova did uh recently that that might be the the future for them that would be pretty cool absolutely um, we'd love to have you we'd love to have you on one of our cards we'll, we'll gear you up we'll have you we'll have you uh you know fight fight the guy from channel six you know whatever <laughs> whatever the people uh the people um at uh, at the armory are, are willing to uh be able to set up for us we're, we're willing to have it ray uh good stuff with this event man good luck uh keep them rolling right you, you do one roll it right into another one and, and i know you'll keep that momentum going dude thanks for joining the show good luck at the sh- at the uh the show on the 13th with boxing back at the armory presented by shots boxing and that's ray shot with us here on honorado and company thank you man thank you so much chris appreciate it teams athletes organizations We're transforming the custom apparel industry through product and purpose. Claim your crown. Looking for a fun and relaxing way to spend time on the water? Look no further than the luxury of a pontoon boat. With their spacious and comfortable design, pontoons from Barletta, Sun Chaser, and Sun Tracker offer plenty of room for family and friends to enjoy a day in the sun. Whether you're looking to ski and tube, swim, or simply relax, pontoon boats provide the perfect platform for all of your aquatic adventures. So why wait? Stop by Alpenhouse Boats today or shop online anytime at alpenhouseboats.com. And now back to Honorado and Company, sponsored by Alpenhouse.
All right, Ash, back on Honorado and Company here and uh, the boxing event. Wife card. Oh, I'm sorry. I said real quick, let me play the wife card. Okay. No chance you get in a boxing ring. No. Well, you don't you don't you have need to your, tell you need your pretty face for television. I, listen, the last thing you have to worry about is me getting into a boxing ring or a UFC octagon or <laughs> anything of the sort. That is not happening. The last fist fight I had was sometime in early Middle high school. school. Yeah, early in high school on a basketball court. That that's the last time I had a fist fight. So that's that is not happening. Um, all right, Glenn Clark from the Albany Firewolves still to come here in a brief moment on Honorado and Company. But Ash, we've got business to take care of here. As we said last month, it's already last month. We had a few days left in April. I wanted to see the thing play out. Yep. And boy, I'm glad we waited to name our Marcellus Appliance MVP of the month. It's time for the Marcellus Appliance Center MVP of the month. And a shout out to Johnny Marcella, Nick Madalone, the entire team at Marcellus. Uh, my parents needed a new microwave. They went to Marcellus. That's how we of course they did. Colorado's. You know, it's the only way to do it. All right. Our, our, our MVP of the month. We agree on this every single yep. time we pick one. This was inspired by your idea. And I it thought is. we should do this leading into Coach Clark because he's a big Leafs fan. So he may have something to add to this. Well, there you go. All right. Austin Matthews is our Marcellus Appliance MVP of the month. You see the numbers there on your screen. But beyond that, he's the MVP because he's the best player on a team that just ended a really long postseason series winning drought. It's yeah. time. This felt like it, it was a little bit overplayed, but I guess I we would we can ask Coach Clark, if you are a fan of this team, did, does 2004 feel like an eternity ago? Well, I can answer that. I graduated high school in 2004. feels like a really long time ago. The last time they had won a playoff series before that, almost 20 years, it's a long time. So it's kind of like monkey off the back. But then I, I want to think that a franchise as storied as the Leafs is going to say like, okay, well, now that that's over, let's look at the big picture. Like, let's go win a cup. Forget the first round playoff series. Like, that's not what we're here about. But yes, Austin Matthews, we pitch, pick him over Mitch Marner, a guy like Mitch Marner who, nothing to take away from him, two goals and nine assists. You're probably not winning that series without him either. But the Leafs finally get it done. Toronto rejoice. Now now it's on to the uh, Panthers, which they're down one game to none. And a little puck luck in that yes, game no as doubt. well. Off Tavares' stick to, to vault the, them forward. Yep. That was – sometimes you need a little bit of that. That's, All right, well, you you teed it up for absolutely. Coach Clark. Let, we'll, we'll, we will talk lacrosse, but let's find out what he thinks about this Maple Leafs team. As you say, it's it's his team. Coach Glenn Clark with us here on Honorado and Company. Clarky, what's up, man? What do we what do we think here of the Leafs ending that drought? Well, first, hello. Uh, it's, uh, it's as painful as you can imagine in the city of Toronto. Uh, and actually, I, I, I went to the University of Toronto and I played hockey at the University of Toronto. And I lived across the street from Maple Leaf Gardens where they used to play. Uh, so I saw some of their uh, some of their highs, but it's been a lot of lows for a long time. And uh, it is a it's hard to describe what it's like in that city with the Leafs and the, and the fandemonium that goes around it. So mm. uh, 
Um, yeah, that is certainly uh, the the air going out of a balloon in terms of everyone can take a little bit of a breath and relax, and they got through the first round. So I was uh, I was happy for them. Good. All right. Well, let's get to some lacrosse. Forget that hockey stuff we talk about. I know. I know Canadians love hockey, but Canadians also love box lacrosse, and, and that's what we're here for. Follow the pack, our weekly segment, and uh, Coach Clark is wrapping up a season, the second season here in Albany for the Albany Firewolves. Coach, now that you're somewhat removed from it, um, what are the overall feelings as you kind of put a bow on a season? Obviously not the record you guys want at 3-15, and 15, but I know we've talked to you all season about how bright the future is going forward. Yeah, and it was it was a challenging season, and and when I talk about it, you know, there, there's reasons behind it, and and I'm always careful that they don't come across as excuses because nobody likes excuses in pro sports. But we were young, uh, and and we had a unusual amount of injuries, which which are reasons. Um, I think we were in you know quite a few close games, but. Having said all that, we, we sort of knew this was a springboard season where we were building for what's next. Um, we, we changed out a lot of players through the draft, got young, uh, didn't have those players this year because of COVID. So uh, the community will see them next year and, and another uh, the one overall pick this year we have as well. So we've got lots of young, exciting talent coming in. And this year was, was always going to be about seeing what we had, seeing how far we could get with this group, but really understanding that with our age and, and, and sort of what's next, uh, we're building for two through five years. Uh, and then we just, we got derailed by key injuries at key time all throughout the season was just, it was, it was difficult to manage. And, and I was, I, to be honest, just three and 15, but I was pretty proud with how the guys responded and played hard and, and nobody ever mailed it in, which is, is what you ask. I've been a broken record on this show saying I I hate when pro sports teams don't have a realistic view of what they are, right? You're a tweener franchise where are we rebuilding? Are we ready to contend? Whatever. I love when a team just goes all in either way, make a big trade to contend or say, you know what, let's start moving some guys. Let's focus on the draft. Let's worry about next year and maybe even the year after that. So I thought you guys did a really good job of just understanding where you were, the injuries, the situation, the record, all of that, and saying, okay, let's worry about next year when we've got more guys coming in after the COVID year and through the draft. Having said all that, what was the challenge, Coach, of trying to keep a team together when you're not really together all that much? You know, like most teams are used to practicing every day or, or being in the facility every day together. That must have been difficult to to make sure everybody still was on the same page with effort and focus when you're not around them every single day. Yeah, that, that looked like a couple of things. Um, it, one of the things is we have a captain's group, which comprises of five guys. And, and how we sort of do it is we we they have their own groups that they're responsible for during the week. So there's a lot of dialogue from me to the captains, the captains to the players. Mm. Uh, 
and they, you know, they do a lot and they're sort of my conduit between, between the players and, and admin and our captains do a great job uh, with those guys. Just, they were actually, you know, sort of, it, it may sound sort of schoolish, but they were doing like book studies with looking at things, you know, different um, writings that, you know, mo- whether it was sports psychology related, motivational. So they were, they were doing things like that, talking about their workouts uh, so I rely on the, the, the captains a lot to do that. And then our messaging with them going forward was, you know, I said to our coaches and, and, and ownership and management, there's no, there's no value in beating these guys up as this year goes along. Like they feel it, they know it, they understand, they hear it. So for me to be pounding on them, it was more about how are you going to present yourself? How are, how are your teammates going to remember you? Because seasons like this can go south pretty quickly uh finger pointing toxicity all that type of stuff and we didn't have any of that so that's probably our biggest accomplishment of the year was managing um you know mindset and and keeping these guys positive when it's not a positive environment and you know we had a lot of young guys that got way more opportunities than they probably would have uh which bodes well going into next season and, and beyond so um, but your point, Chris, was was bang on about teams that understand where they were. That was a very conscious decision in the offseason. We'd lost Callum Crawford in the previous free agency season, Stephen Wonk, Ryan Banesh, Joe Rezateritz, um, on and on. I mean, we'd lost the two leading scorers from the league in consecutive free agent sessions. So we got to a place of understanding where we said, well, we're having a difficult time acquiring free agents. We're having a difficult time uh, uh, maintaining our own free agents. And you get star players two ways in this league, free agency when they're a little older or you draft them. So um, we've drafted a couple of stars and and that's going to be our path forward. Yeah, coach, you've talked about how bright the future is, but realistically, I think this fan base, we've talked about it, can expect a team that looks pretty vastly different next year because of the numbers game. You only have 21 spots on this team. You've got seven guys, six guys, seven guys who were hurt who you realistically think will be back and play a role. You've got several stars that you drafted in last year's draft. You've got this year's draft. So can you kind of explain how putting this team together in the offseason might go? Yeah, it's, I mean, you dress 17 players, runners for a game and two goalies. We could arguably have eight or nine changes to that 17, which it's half the roster. And, and, you know, that's changes from within. I mean, that's guys coming back from injury, um, the draft picks coming in, um, players being slotted down a little bit into more appropriate roles. So it, it's going to be very different. Um, and it's, you know, it's it's going to be a process of getting to that top level because I think once you, you sort of establish that foundation of sort of excellence and, and you know, the talent base you want, then it gets even harder because you see the Buffaloes, the Toronto, the San Diego's, and you know, that's where we want to get to from a talent base. And then it's so close when you get to that level, because, you know, we beat those teams, we beat Buffalo, we beat Rochester, we beat Halifax, we beat very good teams in our three wins. Um, You know, and so it's, it's going to be, it's interesting. It's, this is the exciting sort of part of getting back to that level. Um, And we think we have pieces that'll do it. And it's, it's going to be, interesting and exciting to watch it unfold by the way 
the off-season workouts are no joke. Look, I mean, coaches, Jack, we, we might get our suits <laughs> from the same guy, but we fill out our suits a little differently. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> it's my pastime. I can't play anymore, so I got to do something. <laughs> yeah, you're living the retired life, sort of, right? I mean, you're all yeah. in on the Firewolves. You're a coach. Yeah. I, know, I know you're not. You're coach and general manager. You've got your work cut out for you, but when you're not doing that, you got to do something else. Uh, yeah. Some weight, huh? we're, used to, we're used to double duty with our careers. I was a teacher yeah. for long and now it's my days are, uh, it's a 24 seven job, but there's little pockets all over the place that you can squeeze into, which is nice. Well, Ash is going to bug you to set up a, a time for us to grab dinner. Now that we've hit the off season, let's make sure we do that. We appreciate the support on the show all year long, right back at you. We'll get more people in the seats next year. You guys will get more wins it's going to be a good Firewolf season next year. Coach, we appreciate it, man. Yeah, right back at you guys. I love the support and always talking to Ash every week. And uh, we'll definitely, you guys will, you'll get Cassie and I out to one of your favorite spots. And we'll, uh, we'll yes. I jump up on the bench and he's like, oh, you again? God, just leave me alone. <laughs> I'm just trying to be a good mood when I talk to you. <laughs> Marky, thank you, man. I get it. I know it's not me. It's just the situation. It's too bad. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks, All right, Coach. Clarky. Thank you, man. Be well. Coach Glenn Clark, the GM He's as well, the, the Albany Firewolves, uh, as they hit the offseason and get ready to go for next year. Um, Ash, I want to play a little trivia with you here before we oh, say no. goodbye to our fine viewers. You're going to quiz me? There are four baseball teams with 20 or more wins right now as we do the show live on Thursday. Mm-hmm. Uh -huh. Can you? There are a few with 18, so there there could be by the time we hit the weekend um, uh, more than just the four. But can you name all four? 20 or more. I know mm -hmm. the Yankees have 17, so there have to be several in their division that have 20 or more. So I'm going to go with the Rays. Correct. Uh, do the Jays have 20 or more? The Orioles. Oh, shnikes. Not the Jays, though. No, not Okay. Yet. So the Rays and the Orioles. Let's go to a different division. Let's go somewhere. Who's surprising this year? Um, the Rangers? Not yet, but they're close. Uh, I don't know. I'm not going to be good at this game. The Braves have 20. Oh, of course. Your team. I should have gone there first. <clears throat> the Pirates have 20. Woo! Wouldn't have gotten there. Definitely wouldn't have gotten that one. Pirates and the Orioles. I mean... What is this? The '80s? I don't know. Like that's it. All four, those are the only four teams right now. There are a bunch of teams with 18. I, no, I it's, know, but but it's funny because we were talking about the Yankees only having 17, and you're like, a bunch of teams have 18. They're close, and only four have yeah. more than 20. So the Yanks really aren't that far off. Right. It, it it's the it's it's the inflation of wins by the Rays that make those eight and a half game deficit look yeah. so daunting. But you're yeah. right; it's really not as bad as it probably could be with all those injuries. Enjoy the weekend, everybody. Watch that Kentucky Derby, and good luck as you do it. Thanks for watching Honorado and Company.